Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Thank you so much for listening to Try Love. It's a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies we saw or people we met at or through the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast, find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org. My name is Jason Daphnis. I'm relearning what it means to be human, and you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. God is dead. We killed him. I'm Cody Narvison, and you can find me on Blue Sky at Cody Narvison. I think you're pretty just the way you are. I'm Harry Mack, and you can find me on Twitter at PunishTake. My name is Aaron. Uh, Junkhead was my nickname in college. You can find me on Twitter at RBPlease. Uh, why didn't it follow you through college? I got better, didn't I? Hmm. I know. Hmm. Now he we call evolved. him Valuable Head. <laughs> Pretty good head. Yeah. Oh, no, that's not the joke. We all no, call that, him. No, that's what we call you. That's definitely yeah. what we call you, though. Uh, today's film was, uh, uh, discussed or we're discussing it as part of, I don't think it's part of a particular series, but it had a recent release. I don't even need to say much more before we get to the patented Aaron Grossman summary in which Aaron Grossman gives his summary of what happened in the movie. Yes, indeed, folks. Yes, indeed, folks. Talking about the film, uh, Junkhead, a 2017 film directed and should be noted almost entirely, uh, supposedly made by. Uh, director Takahide Hori. Uh, the film is based on the 2013 short film Junkhead One. Uh, was made over the course of approximately uh, seven years or so. Um, Junkhead is a stop motion animated film. Uh, film is set in kind of this this far off, uh, you know, post apocalyptic esque future. Uh, mankind has stopped the aging process, uh, but lost the ability to reproduce, uh, which is causing problems as they. And nevertheless, die off in all sorts of other ways. Uh, I think there's a virus mentioned in the film that's killing off people. Um, beings called Merrigans uh, were created for a cheap source of labor, um, but they rebelled approximately 1600 uh, years before the film was set um, and now uh, kind of control this dark dystopian underworld. Um, our protagonist is a cyborg turned full robot, essentially, who was sent on this ecological expedition to. Uh, basically explore the depths of this underworld in an effort to find a solution to the loss of human reproduction. Um, that's kind of what I got. I mean, it's a, again, it's a, you know, it was mostly made by this one director who was inspired, uh, I believe by uh, the, the kind of original uh, Makoto Shin, uh, Makoto Shinkai, am I messing up that name? Makoto Shinkai? Uh, director what, of, what are we referencing? Of, uh, director of your name, his original um, Voices of a Distant Star, I believe, kind of, which was made almost entirely by him, kind of influenced uh, Takahide Hori to look into animation, I guess. Uh, Wikipedia at least says that he basically had done no animation before this and was just like, yeah, I should do stop motion animation. So I don't, I don't know what like his life was like to be able to kind of just afford yeah, to do that for several years uh, in a row. He's a but. successful interior designer. Sure. Uh, I've heard oh, that seems has about right. Continued to be a professional, successful interior designer. Um, uh, allegedly. That, that makes sense given, you know, this, this film, uh, we'll, we'll get to it, but you know, yeah, 
this is a, a you know clearly a, a work that has a lot of like effort put into it. He also did a lot of the other miscellaneous stuff, other than just like the the animation and you know creature environmental design that you can think of in the film. Uh, the voices, a good example. Most yeah. of them, except for one or two kind of female voices, were were done by him. So that's what I was um, going to say is that it is one of the funnier jokes in the movie, which is yes. has a lot of jokes that like the credits roll in literally just a block of his name. Like associated with every single thing, yes. except for Which like Aaron a said, move. the I mean, one that's... like female role has a female name next to it. That's about it. That's got to feel really good, right? Like that's a that's a seven year old like payoff where it's like ah oh, movie ends somewhat unexpected, kind of you know cliffhanger ending, and then boom, 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 boom. You know what I mean? That's his uh, name still appears less than Hideo Kojima's in any given Hideo Kojima game, and that's true. Hideo had a lot that's, of help. That's with maybe that, not so. as much of a joke uh, by Kojima, <laughs> but yes. Uh, anyway, that's a weird, you know, uh, this this film, uh, I guess, Del Toro uh, saw it when it first came out. It, it did well on kind of, um, you know, slightly underground uh, uh, kind of, you know, film uh, circuits and, you know, like award ceremonies and whatnot. Um, and then kind of got, you know, slightly more well known due to the fact of the production of it and whatnot. So. Trilon's mm-hmm. playing it. We're talking about it. That's that's Junkhead. You love it to took see a it. really long time to get here, right? Didn't it originally release in Japan in like 2017? The release date yes. the Trilon has on their website is 2017. That's what this episode's going to say. Just be in accordance with it. But yeah, I guess the most recent like releases of it may in some ways be different. Again, Wikipedia is not incredibly exculpatory about all of this information. Many versions of this might exist, including like Aaron said, the very first one, uh, Junkhead. There's the original one, short like, film as well. Yeah, like 30 yeah. minutes or so. It was, it was described as like the first act, the first third of this movie uh, was comprised by that one thing. Um, do you think that Takahiti Hori then, do you think his interior design skills became more valuable become more sought after after this movie got attention like people saw it and they're like i want that in my in my living room yeah i want to i want big like flesh worms in my and so you know there's not many people you can go i talked to some you know kind of traditional companies and they said they couldn't accommodate that request they couldn't Mm -hmm. accommodate uh you know giant flesh monsters so i i had to i had to you know uh, we don't do that kind bucks. of work. Had but, to see the but we know a guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, yes. they sent him, sent you right to. We him. definitely know a guy. Yes, <laughs> uh, it is. Uh, again, you're going to find compare similarities here in both watching the film and probably listening to our discussion about this one uh, to Mad God, an episode from uh, 2022 that we covered when that film got um, wider release. Uh, we were fans of that to varying degrees, all positive on it, um, but. You'll hear some maybe repeated discussion points here. Uh, comparisons will come later, uh, I guess. But I think the starting point for me in this movie, like I tried to, as Harry uh, and I checked in with before the movie started, how much we knew about this movie and just basically the the bare essentials. The one guy is said to have like made and animated most of it. It has not gotten a whole lot of play in the West yet. And here we are finally with like a proper distribution in 2023. Um Going into it with that, I think, was the right amount because the tone and the like the roundness of the like the fact that there is like an arc here, despite it ending on a uh, on a cliffhanger uh, was unknown to me. I did not know where it was going to go. It felt at ter- at times like really fast and really long uh, and, and slow, but eventually ended up like feeling more well-rounded than I thought it might have been if I knew it what, feels like. like- 
damning with faint praise, right? But it's like we had a narrative experience watching mm-hmm. this movie well, in a way that we weren't initially necessarily expecting. Because, again, the comparisons to Mad God were like, Mad God, much love to Mad God. It is not a piece that has like a clear narrative and plot through line that you're, that it's like follow, that is, it doesn't have dialogue. It doesn't have necessarily like storytelling aside from visual presentation. Um, so yeah, like if I had known more about what this movie was, if I'd even read like, the pretty scant letterbox description, I probably would have expected, I probably would have felt more of like maybe lost, maybe as if like, where, where, when is this going to sort of hit the beats that I'm expecting it to hit? Um, going in without expectation was, I think the strongest way for, for a lot of different reasons we can dig into as we, as we discuss. I will say I had a, do you, all you guys see it at the trilon? All three of you. Okay. I, I had a, weird experience that was maybe a little closer to watching mad God, uh, because I rented this on, uh, Amazon, uh, and rented this film, got 30 minutes into the film thinking this is a really experimental. Like I I like the kind of the use of the visuals and the sound. And I like how there's, there's no dialogue, uh, uh, that it's just, you know, grunts between these characters. Apparently uh, this is a pretty common experience, by the way. Yes. Uh, Uh, the, this movie does have subtitles. It is not hard encoded (laughs) into the film. Uh, you have to, when you rent it from Amazon, maybe there's some sort of default settings you have set up that, that activate. But for me, I had to, you know, there's a scene where the very, the, the, the first like 25 minutes of the movie, uh, is, you know, this character and shit happens to him and then he gets rebuilt into this body and then he goes out traveling with the, these little group of three, uh, you know, monster hunters. Um, and there's a scene where he gets knocked out and he has like a flashback to him uh, as a human on the surface, like doing uh, like a dance instruction uh, with, with a, a teacher. Um, or maybe he's the teacher. It's not very clear. I think he is getting in dram- he, he is lessons. the teacher. Yeah, he but, is the teacher. OK, yes. he is getting he's teaching dance. And um, there's like just enough dialogue there for me to be like, I'm fucking missing because there's, there's a bit where he like pulls up. He's talking about his ecological expedition and he pulls up like a kind of a joke, like mock cover with Indiana Jones. Uh, and they linger on it with him talking for like a minute or two. And I'm like, this is too long for this <laughs> joke. And I don't know what's going on. Here. Well, and, and so I like looked and like, yes, there were there were fucking subtitles. Uh, right. That were supposed well, to be and, on. yeah. And, and to, to sort of like. In your defense, also, they're not speaking a language. They're not speaking a human language in this movie. I think there were times when it sounded like Japanese. There were times when it sounded like Korean. But it's mostly like a rare game where everybody's going, and then like it's (laughs) producing uh, apparently words. I I believe the the human language is like maybe somewhat related to Japanese. There are certain words that that sound more Japanese. Um, my, my, My guess would be as someone who does... Uh, took Japanese lessons, but not retaining any of that information is that he, it's kind of bastardized, uh, like far right. down the line. It's, Japanese it's just, to, it's just like the babble that a person whose native language is Japanese would make, you know, like somebody whose native yes. language is English being like, blah, 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 one blah, or two type. words yeah. here and there, maybe. Yeah. Um, but here, here's what I'll, here's what I'll say. I think that, uh, this movie, uh, at least that, that first portion really had me thinking that that was working for me. I'm a big mad, mad Godhead myself. Um, I like the idea of an animated film that is dialogueless, that just kind of goes through uh, what it's doing with with you know visuals and just especially a, a stop motion picture like this that that is kind of able to be as creative as it 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 can basically as the the director and the people working on it uh, you know can pull off and I I think that that uh, 
the movie kind of, for me, exists on kind of both ends of that spectrum where I think that there are moments when I really wish like, Ooh, I wish this maybe didn't have dialogue and I wish maybe it was kind of doing a bit more of that. But I think there are also moments on the other end where the dialogue does kind of work and it is uh, funny and goofy and, and kind of, um, you know, full of heart. Right. Uh, And I think that, that on the inverse of both those, I think there are both those moments that don't work as well too. So um, I'm like positive on this film, but I think it's like a bit of a mixed bag here and there, which I think is like not a big insult to it considering again, it was made by one guy and like, I think it's like a, a very cool thing for sure. Yeah. The fact that it, you know, doesn't always perfectly thread the needle of how much narrative versus exploration you want and how much experimental stuff versus like plot exposition. The fact that it even comes close to like threading a needle that tight and having been made by one person is crazy. Like Harry was saying, the guy directed the hell out of this by himself. I can't imagine like concepting shots. There's some uh, in the, I don't know if you stuck around for the credits, but in the credits, there's like this sort of like almost blooper reel. We'll show you how some of the shots were set up and how they were created with a time-lapse photography of him actually going through and like changing the position of the maquettes and everything. And just to have the forethought of what each shot was going to look like and how it was going to move and how he would need to edit it and all that kind of stuff is just i mean on a technical level incredible but also like it serves i think the uh the the the, excuse me his directorial style sort of serves that form pretty well there's a lot of even in mad god there's a lot of like you assume that things have minimal motion sometimes because it requires patience to like force that out of the story or you know maybe things seem to move uh, unnaturally because there is like there were time constraints on how long they had to set up and remove shots and stuff and in this case it's like no it seems almost everything seems very intentional so whether it worked or not i'm just like i'm mostly in awe of the fact that the intent was like carried through to the final product in a lot of interesting ways um formally you know yeah, absolutely. And I, I know we said we weren't going to lean too hard on like the comparing contrasting between this and Mad God, at least like leading with it, despite despite the inevitability uh, of that. Um, but to jump kind of right into that, like I think one thing that plays favorably for Junkhead and Mad God, and like I'm, I'm still reeling from this film, uh, the three of us Minnesotans or people who are still in Minnesota here, we all saw it together. I'm still kind of reeling from the experience of seeing it in a theater. I think it plays pretty well for a crowd or at least our crowd was was pretty into it um, yeah i mean we all walked out very positive but you really love this movie in particular right yeah yeah i i i would say so and i like not to say that we're masters of like the stop motion animated form or anything like that i definitely grew up with the wallace and gromit shorts um but even even then beyond just being like a wallace and gromit fanboy i'm not i can't speak to any of that too um intimately but i do think the the subject matter of something like this something like mad god the the dystopian post-apocalyptic settings just that at its most baseline it melds super well with the with the medium to say you know existing um life uh um uh, regeneration not regeneration um like fertility just like giving birth to new life like evolution all of that is kind of miraculous just in in the same way that like it is miraculous that these types of movies exist and that this type of work is possible um so it makes it at least for me like a a super high floor experience regardless you know and then on top of that you have like i i think a really um and it's nuts and bolts like kind of captivating film you know again mileage may vary but i'm still coming away pretty pretty positively on this this does the the great sort of thing that i 
particularly enjoy where it's, you know, we're world building and like very small patient ways and gesturing at the larger thing so that you can kind of use your imagination a little bit. And we're not going to like spoon feed you. Um, you know, apparently we're going to get a couple more of these at some point before, uh, the creator of this film, uh, you know, <laughs> dies or, or, you know, hopefully we can churn these next couple films out uh, a, a little bit more faster, mostly because then I'm an impatient consumer of art. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I feel really good about this. Um, yeah, but I, I mean, uh, I think everything that's been said so far is, is, is super valid. Curious to hear, um, you know, Harry from you, like a couple days removed from this screening, how is, how is this sitting for you? Uh, it's sitting with me really well, Cody. Thanks. Um, I'm really glad you brought up the fact that the movie has themes that integrate e- exceptionally well, I would say, with the formal um, process of the creation of the movie itself. I think that it's like not an accident that he's talking about uh, sort of things that were constructed that grew to have a life of their own and became more than the sum of their parts in a movie where this is a guy who constructed everything literally by hand and processed it. It's sort of, you can see the idea evolving as he's thinking about what it means for that idea to evolve, right? He's thinking like, what does it mean that like all creations sort of take on a life of their own? They become something other than exactly what was intended. Is something happening between the frames here, right? As I'm constructing this movie, as I'm making it into something real, what does that mean about what it is, right? Is it is it transforming? Does it like what does that mean about me as its creator, as its quote unquote God, as the movie continually alludes to, is the humans are sort of the machine gods? but then the machine gods construct their own god. Um, There's a lot of creator and creation imagery and metaphor happening in this movie. Um, I would love to dig into that. I I think it's it's really fascinating that how process-driven this entire movie is, right? Like, I think my big comparison to Mad God is that Mad God is sort of like the, uh, like, the ultimate culmination of a like master's career right where it's it's like this is like the the guy right who did visual effects sort of like finally like unfettered and able to do exactly what he wants junkhead despite being a a very similar movie in a lot of ways right down to the plot in some funny ways but um could not come from a more different person right this is a guy who literally has no experience in filmmaking no experience in animation no experience in stop motion uh maybe his career helped him figure out how to do this to some extent but and so if you'll forgive the pun it's like a really scrappy movie right like it's it's pretty much like the ultimate scrappy movie and i just i find that to be maybe the most inspirational part of this movie, especially in conjunction with the themes that you were discussing a little bit, where it's sort of like, I I love this idea that like, this is a 40 year old, 40 something year old dude, who's sort of like thinking about like, what does it mean to be a creator at this stage in my life? And like to start from scratch and try to build something like, what is it going to mean about me? What is it going to mean about my life? Um, and so I, I really found that to be a fascinating way into this movie. Um, and also, I guess my last big point that Jason, you brought up how I said he directed the hell out of this. He does. And, um, it's like almost parodic, uh, in how much it styles itself after anime after like anime and also like big, like Shin Kamen Rider power Rangers, like the, the dynamic nature of the shots, the like fluidity of the shots, the fact that every single shot is accompanied by a a dynamic pose by the like physicality. It takes such a main stage in this. I mean, 
it's fascinating because like because it's one guy, I bet I could like you know, the Makoto Shinkai thing I didn't actually know. Totally would have made sense. I was thinking of Nichijou a lot while watching this. Jason, you brought up Blame, which is an even more direct comparison, super on point. Um, I mean, I bet this guy played near. Like, I, I, it's so fascinating to see like a single dude's like, like uh, influences be like worn on their sleeve to this extent, and to be able to see how they all came through. Right? It's like this perfect sort of crystallized essence of a guy and his passions and what he loves and how he's making it come together. Um, and I think that that sings through the movie and, and it makes the, the humor and the earnestness both work better for me, even than I think they would in isolation, just because I think it's so cool, for instance, to spend eight years, seven years making this or whatever. And then um, it's so funny, right? Like it's such a funny, goofy uh, like silly movie in so many ways. And like, I, I love that. I love that it was so important to him that, that this labor of love should be funny, that it should be essentially an anime parody or that it should at least wear its heart on its sleeve so much, right? Like this dude loves Ano Hideki and Ano Hideki probably loves this movie, right? And I just like, I think that like to see all of that and to put it all together and be able to create something like this out of it is really, really remarkably inspiring uh, for me. So I I came out really, I think I agree with Aaron. Like I, I think that it's not as masterful a product as something like Mad God or even like most movies, right? There are some pretty like major plot uh encumbrances uh it but none of that matters right it really didn't affect my experience whatsoever of watching this movie and i came away just really really positive about it um what do you what do you think about that aaron um yeah i mean trying to think about like i guess not necessarily like the inspirations for this film i know i I mentioned chinkai but like frankly i i wasn't maybe this is me being a little naive but I, i really wasn't uh except during some of the more like action focused scenes. I wasn't thinking too much about anime. I think that like, and not even about like inspirations, but in regard to like what I was reminded of watching Junkhead, I really was reminded of like, like early, like 21st century, like animation, like kind of like, like for me, I, I tend to associate like, um, specifically like like computer anime like non like hand drawn animation i guess there's there's probably a, a better term for that um but i tend to think that like kind of right around when dreamworks started kind of like taking pixar's whole thing and kind of making it a little more poppy uh like around like 2000 like shark tale uh like madagascar era i i kind of think that like that in my mind at least kind of homogenized a lot of uh, like non hand drawn animation, uh, specifically in the West. Um, and there were like a few films like after that, that kind of were a little weird and out there, but I think they were mostly known as being a little weird and out there. I think of like the movie nine, uh, which funny enough was, I think the first date that my Ooh, now wife and I went on. That's a really uh, good comparison, Aaron. <laughs> yes. Uh, just like weird little things that like were kind of, I think the norm for like non Disney animation. And then, became like the weird outsiders in their own way, just because they were like not marketable with that, that same fucking like DreamWorks face that every character started to have. Right. Um, this reminded me a lot of like, I mean, I, I, during the pandemic, I, uh, I, I streamed 
Beyond the Mind's Eye, which is like a, a computer animated like that fucking rocks, by the way. <laughs> which Absolutely check that out. Th- this movie reminds me of like weird like VHSs that I would rent from the library uh, when I was like eight years old were like, you know, I'd get some books and then I'd go upstairs to the video section and I'd just like walk around and find like just some weird ass like computer animated films that some people had made like with like the foundations of that technology. Um, and there's like a kind of scrappiness that like to this film that reminds me of a lot of that stuff where I'm not sure that like the technique is always there, but again, I don't think it necessarily matters. There's like little filmmaking, like, errors with with scare quotes that are kind of made constantly in this film um there's there's certain like camera movements that feel like maybe super jittery and kind of janky in a way um but i think that like it adds up to something quite unique and quite cool uh in a way that i i really dig and i i don't know it makes me kind of want to dig into more of this kind of animation uh, uh, in a way that I haven't just because like, are there a bunch of films like this out there? Like, I don't know. Genuinely don't know. Um, But yeah, I don't, it's, it like feels scrappy in a way that I I Mm -hmm. really, I really dig. Yeah. I think that scrappy feeling for me, like comes through, not just in comparison to the, the big hitting, you know, like what happened to animation around the time of the explosion of like 3d animation and uh, you know, the, the dreamworks effect and all that kind of stuff. Not that I'm speaking with any authority on this, but at that same, around that same time, I feel like there was like, I'm thinking of uh, Leica studios, like their sort of christening of like the, the future of um, stop motion animation with these incredibly, uh, lush and like animations and very smooth and very like it's it's really great honestly it's 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 art in one of its purest forms but um at that time i feel like there was this handshake of like okay what animation is now will be this very highly detailed uh photorealistic but not realistic looking caricatures by 3d uh and you i guess the new generation of stop motion will take this like you will you will essentially be the successful version of this i mean whether or not like has been successful is measured by a lot of different things critically and monetarily but um the like the 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 handshake there between like this is the place now of stop motion that gets noticed that gets rewarded that gets played is sort of like it's kind of the like a 60 million dollar budget projects or nothing and i guess in context of that junkhead makes me think a lot more it makes me think a lot more positively of junkhead that like there is something functional here it is in fact you know impressive to watch it is uh clearly a commercially like viable product and it has not that same sort of like uh backing to it it doesn't have a phil tippett like harry was saying it doesn't have somebody you know in the industry for 45 years behind it it doesn't have um you know hundreds of millions of dollars budget uh it doesn't it, it's just like it is in putting together a basic like uh a, a working viable product through this medium it is then is like starting to poke up as like an unfortunate in the landscape of it and it's unfortunate that they're not recognized and rewarded more often but sort of like it's still visible in that way um in a way that i wouldn't have expected of like if you had asked if you had shown me sight unseen this film and i didn't know anything about it i would have assumed maybe like oh four oh five when studios were still spending money on yeah. projects like this that were just below the super like high budget stuff and uh you know expected to maybe make back their budget or get some like like you were saying independent film awards type things uh but the fact that it came out 10 years after my projected what i'm what i would have placed it at uh and is like still 
garnering attention and perhaps there are more it, it's it, like it is it, it it adds a whole lot of like provenance to watching it for me to make it like it makes me think more positively of the movie to be completely frank yeah like a films is actually a, a good i think comparison for this i don't i, I had always heard maybe this is not correct but the thing that I had always read about Leica is that they you you nailed it with like their their question of their budget right uh, like all of their films are like under a hundred million dollars about for a budget um, and the thing is that like I don't think any of them barring like maybe one or two exceptions have been like financially successful certainly not not really, uh, like know. along the, the 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 lines of what you typically expect for like a two times or 2.5 times multiplier uh, probably two times for like an animated film like that uh that you'd expect in order to like recoup uh you know after theaters take a cut and then after additional marketing budget um the thing with Leica uh is that they are uh like owned by and was co-founded by uh, one of the founders of Nike and that that has literally been the only reason oh. that they've been kept afloat and have been able to make films <laughs> like Coraline and like Kubo and the two strings. And it's, like, it's one of the two things, right? It's like, it's either, Oh, it's state owned by the one Soviets. guy makes it. Yes. One guy makes yes. it or, yes. Oh, it turns out that fucking like Rockefeller's son, Steve jobs owns the yes. <laughs> is in a test tube somewhere and, and, and financing the making of the film. Yes. It's like such a interesting comparison point for like, how do these fucking films get made? None of them ever make as much money as Shark Tale. Like, what is going on? Uh, and the, yeah, the, that's that's unfortunately uh, my understanding is that that's kind of the answer. So yeah, yeah, I'm really glad we got to this point because um, this is a conversation I feel like we always have when we talk about animation, but especially stop motion animation, which is just that like usually and especially when I was growing up, the mechanics of animation. Um, moved me as much as the animation itself, right? Like, I remember watching My Neighbor Totoro, and you guys have probably heard this monologue already, but, like, just the, like, the implications behind the fact that, like, there are so many scenes in that that there is so much attention and love placed on the way nature moves. And to think that, like, that's because a team of people invested hundreds and hundreds of hours of their lives and blood, sweat, and tears into making that imbues it with so much meaning and like the fact that like oh we find this important enough to like spend our lives on um that's like kind of multiplied by a thousand (laughs) when it comes to stop motion right so i but that's actually like not my point right because like there's something that this movie does that's really interesting where despite being the most mechanically ostentatious movie i've ever seen maybe in terms of how did he do this and it it, the movie, I don't think or I would argue, at least my experience of watching it, never draws attention to itself in that way. I was never really at any point thinking like, oh, how did he do that? Right. Or like how like why would he why would he articulate the the um, robot in that way? Not honestly, not until the credits when I saw him doing it. And like, for instance, there's one really funny part where like a character does this like basically like Power Ranger or Ginyu Force like like dance stance and it's just like literally like 20 seconds of the dude like whirling around completely extraneous doesn't have to exist that had to have been like three weeks of work or something just to get that to happen right just to articulate that one character spinning in that way and it's remarkable to me that i didn't think about that while i was watching instead i thought about like how much i was enjoying the characters and how invested i felt in the world and it really again it it speaks to this like creation um 
metaphor that that I think he's playing with that like I really think that he's trying to do something kind of different with um stop motion here in that he really wants you to sort of like connect with the characters and see them as these entities unto themselves these sort of like like living creatures you know I mean like I came away like feeling very differently about it than I feel about a lot of stop motion um and he did it by just basically rearranging the sets right and rearranging the characters inside of them and it, it is like there's something alchemical happening here right it it feels like where it's like you know you, you think about like i'm going to take a billion uh like camera shots of these little clay figures articulated in different combinations uh with different backgrounds and all of a sudden look at like how you're emotionally connecting to it how did that happen like what does that mean about people and about like creating and uh i was i was really inspired by that right like i think more so than most movies the uh mechanics behind and the the story behind how this was made really draws attention to that in a way that even if you are desensitized the way that i am to like animation for instance it broke through right like i don't spend most animated movies thinking about how much work animation is unless you know it's like fucking whisper whisper of the heart where like it turns out that the dude who made it died because it was so terribly um hard to make but this kind of movie makes me think about it and it also makes me think about why somebody would want to do that and what they would have to say right and i think that like it's super fun to bring those readings into this movie and i came away with a lot out of that which is why i love that you both you and cody brought up the creation like through line the parallel the the metaphor um and i wanted to dig a little bit more toward the narrative and story but cody excuse me cody brought his hand up while you were talking cody is there anything you wanted to get off before we uh before we move there Anything I want to get off, huh? Um, get off real no, quick with it with yeah uh, with uh, Mister. What was it we, we called Aaron uh, in after college? Pretty good head with Mister. Pretty good head, Mister. Pretty good head. <laughs> yeah, I would I would like to get I'm something him. off in the presence of Pretty Good Head. Um, no, like super quick and just not to. I don't want to necessarily make a, a habit of like feeding off of what the what the audience was doing, but I I feel like this like very minor note is is kind of important juxtaposed against like. Harry, what you're saying about like the movie not drawing attention to itself. Sometimes that, I mean, every viewer's mileage is is a little bit different. And that's sort of me like casting the wide net here. And like, you could definitely tell that some, some people in the theater with us were like, I don't want to say uncomfortable, but they were like, they reacted in their own. There was particular, there's some like laughter early on whenever anything happened, right? That same sort of attitude when somebody's watching like an old movie and like the sensibilities of just like, how somebody is talking or like what somebody in the 1930s would think is like funny or risque or just like, because it's old, I feel like I should be reacting to this differently compared to something, you know, that came out last year. Um, there's just some moments like that where like, and it might have to, might've had to do with the fact that these characters like kind of clearly grunting at each other and not speaking any sort of discernible, you know, quote unquote real language. Um, but probably also a little bit just like watching anything, watching literally anything happen in within the framework of this, you know, like stop motion animation. And that settled in after a while. I mean, the fact that this movie has its own cl- very clear sensibility, probably partially in- inspired by some just like, I don't know, anime, le- like leaning set, like, I don't know, th- those sort of influences, um, I think being worn right on this movie sleep, but it also has its own kind of unique spin on it. Um, just like the, t- again, the types of things that you would ordinarily laugh at or the types of like what the movie is clearly trying to evoke laughs from versus just, oh, this they're burning down a tree 
And it's funny to watch somebody in stop motion animation do that. And we don't know how to react to this other than like laugh at it um, because, <laughs> because our brains don't, don't know how to comprehend this yeah. magnificent thing otherwise. Um, but yeah, I wanted to throw that out. It's, I do not think, um, you know, it, movies like this that don't draw attention to themselves in that way. There is the the very marginal marginal impediment of like the form itself, which you know maybe takes some getting used to, just because it is somewhat uh, unnatural compared to other things, but in a good way, I mm-hmm. think. Um, but yeah, that was all I wanted to say, Jason. Feel free to to take this wherever. I, I will. I, well, I mean, it's not far from where you were. I think the experience of watching it underscores the like dissonance between. Again, hard not to compare to Mad God, but we'll do it in limitation just as starting points, or at least I will. Uh, the like comparison that I was making in my head while watching it was Mad God, any single frame you see of that film, um, you sort of can guess the tone of that scene. You sort of like know that the big guy with a mouth for an ass and an ass for a mouth is probably going to have either something horrible done to him or he's going to do something horrible to somebody or we're going to watch him sort of like exist in the background doing something disgusting and we'll move on right there there's a, a few there's a limited use case for that in this movie i feel like almost any and it's partially a byproduct of the fact that it's got like a spoken uh in, at least translatable dialogue that it has like a story that it tries to follow and tell that it's got arcs that it follows through on uh where mad god has like those in limitation um the i think it just like underscored the uh, like strange dissonance, the strange friction between the sort of like toyetic uh, qualities of a lot of character design in this movie, even like the monsters and stuff, you could sort of see them as little playthings um, instead of just like weird, strange, I mean, obviously very imaginative, but you can sort of imagine them as, as physical objects in a way uh, and sort of like some of the gruesome things that do happen in this movie. It's never like as overboard as Mad God is. Um, I am like the, the, the fact that there is that like, dissonance between those two things between like the sort of innocence and uh the the, or like childlikeness of a lot of these characters the main character i think wikipedia called gave that character and or maybe trilon's website gave that character a name but basically the junkhead the god no it was was (laughs) like god (laughs) partner or something like that portner i forget it was it's some strange name that the trilon's website has for it maybe they have some press materials we don't um but like that character is in itself very like uh, you know, large head, very like infantile appearance. Most characters in this movie do have them, except strangely, the wives of the people who work in the venting hangar or whatever, who are Brobdignagian and, and gigantic. Um, and like that, I think that friction, that dissonance, as I'm trying to get to between that, like cute, toyetic, uh, like playfulness and the cold, harsh, uh, like realities of what it's like to live there that most most inhabitants don't really quite seem to understand even like the guy who gets bitten in half because he's just not looking for the monster that's clearly hanging above him. That seems to be, that seems to live somewhere near there. Anyway, those, those, those vignettes, even like that one, those vignettes, I think are like, they are given so much more weight by what we don't really like expect from them by like, we're watching these cute little characters enter these really dire situations and like we're following, we assume that they know a little bit more than we do. We, it's just like good world building in that way but I think it's through specifically the design of some of these characters. Um, like, you know, like, like, like in mad God, like I was saying, almost everything is like Im- immediately interesting to look at. Um, and like your interest in learning more about them gives each of those things, those characters, like so much more life. Everything is so full of character, uh, both through like how they move and how they act and how they react and the, some of the timing and uh, comedic play that Harry was hinting at earlier, but also just like the 
placing of these characters in in the spaces that they are in gives it a lot of i think uh, a pull it gives it makes it much more compelling just to like see these things in the spaces that they exist in like the strange guy who rides a motorcycle uh crane not crane lift but the lift that they ride up and down um very rarely does a character stand up and say like i am character i i do i do things you know like it's I, I, maybe maybe I'm just describing good world building, um, but the well, like when I thought about it, I, I was I became convinced that that tactic that like that intentional off guarding um, is like it is reflected in uh, in like characters in like the, the the what am I trying to say that it's reflected in how it builds those actual characters like how they survive this world, how, how they relate to each other, how they talk, uh, their views of death strangely are affected or, or like you can sort of intimate and be surprised by those characters, like whole philosophies just because of like what they look like in the weird space that they're in. I know I'm, I've blown it out to way larger and more vacuous uh, discussion point than really it, it needed to be. But I, I just found that very interesting, compelling like friction between how characters look, how characters appear and move sometimes very cute and a very like harsh, gross, disgusting, mean world sometimes that they live in. Um, and yet none of them feel like they're just there to be victims. Like, uh, sometimes characters do in mad God, I guess. Uh, does that make any sense at all? What part of that did you want to talk about Aaron? <laughs> a little bit? I might disagree with the end of, I don't, I, th- this movie is kind of similar to mad God where like you, after watching it, you're kind of curious about how there's like anybody left alive. Like how is the mortality rate? Not a hundred percent or however, a thousand, right. however that's expressed. Right. Like, like you cannot go down like a hallway without meeting some sort of creature that will kill you. And then some sort of creature that is bigger than that creature that will then kill the creature that kills you. You know what I mean? Um, but, but like also, yes, like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think that there is an aspect to the, the encounters in this film that I think this like ties into like what I was talking about, where like I watched a lot of this film without any dialogue. Like there is an aspect to these encounters that are like, you know, like viewed without dialogue, without kind of the cute jokes and whatnot are like, mythological uh, in a manner right or like uh uh like kind of like tell like little parables like the the little like cute guy that he meets who's like trying to steal all of his uh mushrooms right um his mushrooms that is like kind of like a biblical story in a sense right about like yeah. uh the, these three times that he he you know took his mushrooms from him and surely at the end of this of course he he got bitten in half uh uh by this spider uh, you know, and that it's about trust. It's maybe a story about trusting uh, strangers and also uh, kind of what happens when you uh, betray others in that fashion. Like there are aspects of this that, that seem a little, I don't know, parable like uh, that, that kind of makes this film generally work until it turns into more of like a character focused uh, piece about fighting big monsters with with uh, guns and whatnot when it gets way cooler. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's uh it's extremely episodic, right? Like I I think that like basically you could describe this uh plot in like I'm not even saying this in a disparaging way, but it's like a series of fetch quests, right? Where it's like something will like the junkhead through a like series of wild um happenstances that usually involve him falling and being destroyed and then reconstructed, uh like falls in with this new faction they have a job for him to do for some reason. Uh, they seem to know what the job is to an extent. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know who he is usually. Um, that's sort of like one of the great fish out of water like parody elements of this movie, right? Is that you're constantly like 
Junkhead constantly has a job to do and doesn't really understand why he's doing it or like where he is or how this job is going to factor into anything. And he's surrounded by a bunch of people who seem to kind of be in the same boat, right? Like there's this one faction of people who are like all trying to stop this, um, steam pipe from overloading. And that seems to be what they've like, like dictated their entire lives around, including their own like personal, um, like personalities, their like marital status. It's all about this. And we don't know why it's so important for them. There's one guy who's just there to feed a fire forever. Uh, and Junkhead makes him a uh, seat. And eventually that undoes everything, right? Because Jug- Junkhead is always sort of like this fly in the ointment that ends up unsettling sort of like what's going on. But, um, and it's super fun, right? Like I, I found it like, I think uh, Cody... I agree with you that like some of the humor um, or some of the laughter that we encountered, especially early on, might have been a product of like discomfort. But also like I think just about every frame of this is funny, uh, which maybe was the most surprising thing of me to uh, for me of all is that like humor is a real element of what's happening here. Humor in this sort of like quirky parody style where it's supposed to be like the the machines are sort of like doing he's doing the classic robot thing where like these um, robots are sort of approximating human existence in like some funny ways where like you can sort of squint and see like similarities. Like all of the guys at the the steam pipe have um, wives that are sort of browbeating them. And that's funny. Um, And uh, they're, they have to go get mushrooms, which they need for like nutrition. So he basically goes grocery shopping for these guys at one point. And so like, there are all of these really funny, like near misses that have this effect of really like, it, like destabilizing your understanding of what's going on. while at the same time, giving you enough that you can kind of see it's like, yeah. he's, he's like perfectly situating himself in the uncanny Valley, right? Where it's like, it's not alien enough to be completely alien, but it's not human enough to be human. It's just this sort of like very strange, like, uh, like version of an adaptation of life, which like, again, uh, I think works really well with his idea that like, once something gets going, it really like, it's going to be its own thing. Like, you almost wonder if, like, he had a script, right, when he storyboarded this, or if he was just sort of like, I want to do this next, and then he did. I'm sure he had a script, but, like, that's the feeling that I take from this movie, right, is that it's, like, it's this really free-spirited, episodic thing that sort of follows itself where it wants to go um, and takes on a life of its own in the process. Until it doesn't, though, right? Like, that is, I guess, my my one kind of criticism of the film is that it is... I mean, you touched upon this this briefly kind of at the, the very start of your point, but like, you know, th- this film is like a series of our, you know, kind of, uh, uh, you know, silly protagonist, like getting his shit wrecked by some monster and then getting put back together in, in a new body, like, you know, Ghost in the Shell style, right? And I think that like, it, it's not like doing like too much like in depth with it, but I think there is like semi-interesting stuff here around like, you know, a physical body being kind of the shell for uh, you know, the mind or the soul or the heart or whatever. Um, I, I think that like, that's pretty interesting. I think that this movie as like a series of vignettes in which our, our character is like just continually uh, further destroyed and like be rebuilt in this manner is I think pretty interesting. Um, I think it's also like enjoyable. Those segments are enjoyable. Um, I, I think it like kind of 
throws that away a little bit for like the final act of this film in which he is, you know, kind of put back into his original body um, or not a re- put back into his third body, I guess. That looks he's very human. similar to his he's first human. One. He yeah. has the six eyes and then he has the, he's the, he's the little cute guy. He's put and back that, into and the little junkers, cute guy, yeah. the highly marketable, uh, you know, images for the film body. Um, and then he is, you know, there, there's the kind of semi-climactic, uh, uh, you know, battle with the, this large creature and whatnot that serves as the end of the film. Um, and I think that like something about like that final act of the film being like such a different thing uh, tonally and like structurally from the rest of the film. And then also him like returning to that body, like both those facts are like kind of upsetting. And then I was I was kind of hoping this would just be a series of like you know, little short stories of him like swapping out bodies as he just continually gets destroyed over and over again. And I don't know, I'm not to like backseat director nitpick. Like I, I kind of think that it, it pushes that interesting aspect of the film aside so that it can have, you know, this kind of big anime fight sequence uh, that I, I don't think works as well, even if it like, it still generally works. I I would push in classic uh, Aaron Grossman, Jason Daphne fat and Daphne's fashion. I would push yeah. back on that by saying like, I agree. I like, I really do love the middle act where it does seem to be setting up a, he's just going to keep bopping from uh, body to body. They're going to have their limitations. He's going to have be with different, you know, different tribes, so to speak within this underworld. Uh, and he's going, we're going to be exposed to different parts of it. And it's going to be kind of serial in that respect. I can't imagine another movie. One of these movies gets made where we don't do more of that. Um, but regardless, like even within the scope of this movie, it's actually one of the things that I liked best is that it came back to, because the beginning I feel was setting up a, for that character himself, um, for as Cody left in the chat, Parton, uh, as he's called in at least Trilon's description, Junkhead, we'll call him Junkhead. No, I, no idea where they received that I, I truly, <laughs> I haven't done any Googling around that name, Parton, like Dolly. Uh, maybe it, it's it said cute, like part- during that that flashback sequence once like i'm I'm really trying to think i'm also assuming that there's like a grain of salt or two in localization from like what uh, was written in japanese what was voice acted uh in this bizarre fake language and what got translated and and localized you you can buy a 160 dollar action figure of junkhead parton off of hlj you're not supposed to talk about christmas gifts before you give them No, I'm, I am also seeing primarily that there seems to be a lot of merchandise that is branded as Parton. Yeah, so maybe it's sort of like, saying. look, wasn't it? Maybe it was a practical decision to get him back in that show. It's, like, you know it's, I mean? it's like, sort of like the alien, right? Where like, I don't know if anybody ever wait, maybe Ash does. But like, hmm. does anybody call the alien a xenomorph in the first alien movie? I'm sure at some point. But it's, uh, it's, you know no, what I'm saying? Though, say right? No. It's yeah, like maybe one of mean. those things where it's like it's sort of like taken on a like we need to name standardize or like, this or yeah. like with, with a non like with an unnamed player character in a video game who ends up getting their own merch and they just give that character a name. Did they do that with Cyberpunk? We don't need. It's the thin this. man. It's the thin man where they they're like the all right, the he's the thin man even though he's, he's the not, fucking he's thin not, man. Right, right. Right. God, look, that's the, the, we got to make sequels. He's the fucking that is thin the, man. that is the funniest example of that. <laughs> He's the thin man now. Literally, um, the thin man referred to the bad guy in the first movie, right? I'm sure no, we talked dead, about this. It was the like, dead body. Oh, yes, it was the it dead was body. The, yeah, not okay, even the bad but, guy. The first victim. Yeah, the, we're gonna base the, the entire franchise. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think I think that in the first scene you see his body, and that's like the only time the thin man appears on screen. <laughs> uh, so the thin man himself, Parton, uh, 
like at the beginning, I feel like it's being set up this maybe larger thematic idea. Maybe one of those ideas that Harry, if he did have a script was like part of his original screenplay or cell of this movie uh, was like this character sort of existing in a version of humanity that uh, like seems to be clinging desperately to the last vestiges of it, of itself. Like he has a human body or at least a human head, but it is encased in a human suit. Uh, he is virtually connecting with other people to like dance in VR space in meta space. Um, and he had like, we don't know what too much about what humanity actually is like uh, through this character, except that like, it's pretty bleak and depressing. And the only hope that they have is to go deeper underground to find the secret of how like the people, the, the beings that they've subjugated have and who rebelled have like managed to uh, propagate. Um, it's not a great scene uh, for humanity. And yet we get the feeling like that is pretty much the whole thing. Like the state of humanity is it's, it's like, uh, it's pitiful. It's, um, like we get those precious little looks. I'm going through my notes. Sorry. Uh, like the, you get the feeling that these changes that like led to what Parton's life is like happened like over time rather than like an overnight apocalypse. It was uh, like a slow degradation. And why I, I only like illustrate this so clearly and thoroughly, because I think we're setting that character as like, this is one of the humans who believes in somehow uh, repairing or restoring a former version of humanity rather than accepting that humanity as it exists. Presumably this person has been like, on some form of artificial life support for a thousand years, potentially, I guess I'm reading too far into the lore, but like Parton among other humans, presumably is one that believes in sort of restoring uh, the glory of humanity rather than adapting or, you know, surviving or, uh, or, or moving on or extinct or expiring. Um, and then that gets almost immediately once his first robot body is discarded dropped because the character has no, uh, well he loses his language <laughs> right he, well, right right he well here's the thing like that first body that he gets put into the the um not the six-eyed one but the toyetic one the, the one on the poster uh that is you know he he loses his memory once he gets put in that he remembers and then the like mi the middle of the movie kicks off where we d we're not exactly sure how much of his memory he retains after that when he's in the junkers body just the the cleanup grocery delivery guy um and throughout that whole thing if there is like interiority to that character we don't really get to see it and then the next time we pick it up where we're certain that it's that same conscience in the next body he apologizes for being an asshole about it. He sort of like seems to have dropped his uh, interest in pursuing this goal of like right. Uh, he has production an at any cost. Right. He 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 like they they realize the again very funny where they realize he realizes that the creature that he thinks he needs to take a eugenic sample from is just kind of like a dog and the tail is not a dick. It's very funny, very funny moment. Yeah, it's it, one of the biggest laughs of the evening from that one. But like the robot it, gestures like he uh, needs to go find a dick it's, and he like puts. <laughs> his little arm down between his legs and Dangling. swings it back and forth uh again must have taken days yeah. to get that shot uh, insane fantastic insane. that's the, um, the funniest the funniest joke in the movie is is the probably, word the yeah, yeah. yeah i mean uh, it's it's so good we i'll i'll share one of my favorite shots later but i what i mean to say is like in that moment he's brought back to um and sort of like in recognizing the state of affairs in like i think that's the completion of an arc like an arc that we didn't really see moving because we didn't that character couldn't communicate as junkers as like this voiceless robot um and like we didn't quite recognize him either uh we don't we don't recognize that character as either like the same guy or as the same like human underneath of it uh, and yet, like when it's brought back, when like he is reunited with characters that helped kick off the plot, 
boom, we're back into it. He is like learned necessarily that like there's a certain amount of abandoning humanity he's going to need to take. He's going to have to unlearn his like concept of uh, the people of the underworld sort of being like, uh, it, it's dangerous, sure, but not everybody there is is completely uh, like lost and savage. Like there are communities and cultures and tribes down there. There are functioning societies. It seems how well they function, who knows? But they have language. Like he learns a lot as as a completely silent character throughout that middle act. And then once he's brought back, once that like final third, the the anime fight, the prodigal son returns. Yeah, exactly. He then boom has uh you know it's that arc completed. It happens very quickly, but I think it's. It's one of my favorite parts of the movie is that like it was able to maintain that thread of like this character is our little window into what humanity is like. Um, he's going to be completely inundated in something that is completely foreign to his to to the humanity that we're trying to track through him. And yet, like once he's on the other side of that, we will have a better picture of like or rather he will have a better picture of like the grand scope of existence beyond the humanity that he knows. You know, again, it's I, like kind I, of a dances with wolves or last samurai plot. Yeah, I, th- I think it's just it ends up being like it's not completely unique or original, but it's it might be even rote. But I think it really works in this because we've gotten to see this whole these vignettes of crazy things happening, and we get to explore the world, and we get to see all these fun things, and we get that like sort of like uh, uh, wish fulfillment of all the creepy shit that you're hoping is behind the next corner. You get to see, and then at the end, you find you actually do get that closure, and it doesn't feel at least to me, it didn't feel. Um, cheap it didn't feel like it was last minute or rushed it felt like okay this character that we've been with uh he's now like reunited with him with himself he's reunited with his with his conscience with uh with like all the people who who helped him like sort of naturalize to this world and he feels apologetic for it that is the arc it went from like he sort of starts by feeling disgusted and like he's got a mission he's got to get out of here loses his memory boom middle act comes back actually i realized you know the the error of my ways kind of thing let's make up let's you know kill this monster and and help me on my mission to like without killing your dog find a way to keep humanity propagating you know right. i guess that's why i i want to say that i would push back is because i think that that arc still really works it might not be the focus of the movie throughout much of it but i think it still really works by the time it comes back around I would agree with all of that. I wish it was a little bit more distinct. Um, I think like I read the arc that you did as well. So I can't say that it wasn't in the movie. In fact, I would argue as you are that it is. Um, I would say that we did a lot of reading to get there, right? Like I, I think that it's very much sidelined, uh, oh, yeah, which is not yeah. to say that that's a bad thing. Um, I like it. But what I did really love about the ending um, to defend it, I guess, not that I disagree totally with Aaron, is that I really love that all of the different characters also came back. Like, I, I, I found it really impressive that he squares the circle and, like, all of a sudden your favorite characters. Like, I was, like, I was so fucking excited when oh, they yeah. were like, oh, we got to bring in the three, the boys. Oh, we got to yeah, bring yeah. in the big guys. No and then question. it's like, no, wait no. a minute. Respect. Wait a minute. Was that them? Yes. And then they walked through and you're fucking oh, God. goddamn right it is. And, like, I was so goddamn yeah. excited to see those characters. And it's They're like, great. how did the movie do that to me? And then, you know, they have a Super Saiyan transformation where they take a drug and they get all big. And that was another absolute show-stopping point for me. Their voices get all low. Uh, their names are Alexander, Julian, and... What was the third guy's name? Francis, baby. Francis, yeah. 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 <laughs> fucking tastic. Like character, maybe characters of the year, honestly. Um, but uh, 
and and I to to Jason's point, right? Like, I think it's super cool that like this this movie starts with like this is an outsider who has a goal that is, if not directly in conflict with his environment, it's at least removed from it. Mm-hmm. And at the end, he is a part of this community, and he's like, actually, like the point of this movie is to kill this monster. Yeah, and like that, and why are we killing this monster? Oh, it's like to save my friends, right? Like, not necessarily for me. It's for this this community that I built around myself, um, and I think that so I think that the the shift of um, focus and even of sort of like the um, plot mechanics uh, works for it for for me anyway. Um, but you know, I mean, I could just be defending this because I fucking love the fight scene at the end, oh my <laughs> and God. I think I think it kicks so much ass. Should uh, we, so should there we is jump, that. Should we jump into a discussion of the ending? I feel like uh, it's it's probably a, a good good time to. So we, what what yeah, I did? What ending are you talking about? I did not see an ending in this film. I don't know what you're. Okay, I saw so, the credits so the, roll. The, the, the final but, the, the final twenty minutes of the film. Then Aaron, you contrarian bastard, uh, to set it up the. One of the monsters that's been stalking junkers throughout the movie uh, finally sort of follows his trail to the um, to the ventilation hangar of some kind uh, that is connected with the fire that the old man lets go out. Um, it terrorizes and uh, they must call in three great hunters. The three hunters happen to be the three people who helped uh, discover his body in the first the main character's body in the first place and give him a new, give him a new uh, robot body and sort of like get him used to being to life down there um, and help him find his way. Uh, turns out they are actually like known monster hunters. They have incredible abilities. They have uh, really strong weapons. They can change at will through the use of some kind of stimulant drug uh, into these gigantic, uh, like perfected form uh, anime. Uh, uh, what is the what is the term for like really hot it's- guy anime? Be, uh, Bishonen? Um, is that what you're thinking? Am I, am I thinking of, of Bishonen? Just I don't really so, but... massively muscular guys with incredible fighting skills. Uh, it's me they... when I uh, steal one of Charlie's ADHD pills. I <laughs> gotta get a lot of work done at work. It's me with one cool the beer refreshing hymns inside of me, uh, and I mean, like, go. We we already pulled into how good it feels to how have those characters come back, uh, have some re, reuni- reunification after a whole middle act of new things, and you know, some sort of comfort level. Um, Aaron, did any of those pieces come back to for you to like? Did that feel like a, a connect, some connected tissue, or did it because like some of your favorite parts had already been dropped by then, you just weren't as engaged? Uh, I mean, I it like generally works. I'm, I'm maybe kind of joking a little bit in some of my negativity. I think it's like not as good as what came before, but like, yeah, I, I like seeing the three bros come back. Uh, I think it, it drags on a bit. Uh, I think is the thing it, it it's just, like, you know, I found it to be like the fastest moving part of the movie. It is. I mean, literally like, it is. Yes. Really, you're, you're very, really it, I mean, like I, I get the monster why dies would. and gets back up like six times though. I mean, that, that does I mean, happen. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's hard to kill. Um, I mean, yeah, it's not bad. It's just, uh, you know, I'm 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 willing to forgive uh, uh, that. You know, I also think that, like, you know, I joked about the abruptness of the ending, but like, supposedly this is the first in a trilogy. Uh, Supposedly the the sequel is going to come out uh, or at least is projected to come out in 2025, which seems like a fine time frame for this sort of thing. Uh, Yeah, I'm not a hater, Uh, you know. It's fine. I like better than little bugs eating people and whatnot, but yeah, okay, it's fine. 
Yeah, tough but fair. No, I one thing that the the final twenty ish minutes did that um, I found my I mean pretty unexpected, but I found myself liking um, the sort of we're talking about squaring the circle. Not that it completely does that. I, I think it it uh, plants another couple seeds for like maybe what we'll see um, in the next couple movies, uh, which again very much looking forward to. But um, Julian Francis Alexander throughout this fight, two of them effectively sacrifice themselves. Um, I'm like casually optimistic that they'll find a way in like you know dystopian science methods to like collect some of that blood and just like oh we're gonna spin them up again because they're too fun to like not have uh in the picture uh, in my humble opinion but um just like dropping all these uh all these like little bombs of just like we we all have to die sometime uh you know this that what they did had nothing to do with you bodies react on their own and it's this kind of bittersweet like melding of the physical form with like the quote-unquote human soul um which is like you i mean the kind of what the whole like like, foundation of junkhead as a person is yeah sorry go ahead i I was just like i can't believe that i'm having an emotional experience about these characters because like i had no idea that i felt that way about them and then all of a sudden it's happening and i'm like you got me movie (laughs) look little uh, uh, like two or three little guys that help out the main characters those those are the best characters best guys star wars those are the best characters lord of the rings those are the best character name whatever you want those just two or three (laughs) little guys who kind of have this wacky Fortress, those are the best characters. A, no. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this podcast so does not endorse the actions of the little characters in the Hidden Fortress. Yeah, we we condemn them a lot uh, on that episode, if you feel like digging back to find that. Um, yeah, like it's a really, it's, I don't know, it's a, a beautiful bow to kind of tie those together, but also kind of, um, you know, it, uh, in that same vein, concurrently plays uh, alongside the, like the fact that these, that different classes of creatures are all more or less bred to live and work kind of in the same breath, you know, like their sole purpose is to keep a a fire lit or like prevent this pipe from exploding. It's like very singular, narrow minded existences that they are, that they are willing to cast aside. There's something like sadly um, like poetic about that. Not that they like expand upon it or, you know, feel like they have the time to um, all that long. I was content with where it ended up, but it, I think it makes a lot more sense that they, you know, played again, planted these seeds. Now there will be theoretically, hypothetically, fingers crossed more time mm-hmm. for us to, you know, maybe explore those, um, those same, you know, threads in, in future films. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, I like the ending. Um, bad guy, go stab. Um, good, good stuff. He it's cuts himself in fucking half to to elbow drop a, a piece of rebar through the fucking monster's head. How, like, yeah? How do we? Yeah. How do we reject I this? Is that. the coolest shit ever? Uh, eh. Eh. That's that's a crazy it's, reaction. Uh, eh. We uh, we're sort of like we ran out of time. But speaking of planted seeds, we didn't talk about the little tree girl that becomes the sort of like, oh yeah, goodness, quasi love interest. She's also like very clearly uh, one of the like mother trees that that can bring uh, the Madagons back to life, um, or not back to life, but she can produce new ones. Um, I think that that we can probably leave it there. Right. I think there's a really good scene where she has a flashback. It's like maybe the most Mm -hmm. like human character or the most like human in this part of like the, the underworld character, um, does a pretty good job of, of generating sympathy, even if it is a little bit, um, 
a little bit cliched, right? A little bit, you've seen it before. Um, but I think like Cody said, like, I think primarily she's clearly going to be a character that returns in, um, in the next two movies and will play a bigger part. But I think, I think she's a cool character for further humanizing, um, all of the characters. She's also like the only character that you're supposed to sort of unambiguously like from the very start, right? Mm-hmm. Like everybody else, you sort of like have this weird relationship with. And so she sort of like symbolizes Junkhead's arc to an extent, right? The fact that he comes to care about her is paralleled with how he comes to care for everybody, like in the the underworld community and the stakes of the world around him. She sort of represents all of that in a way that I um, appreciated, but I, I kind of felt bad. We didn't talk about her at all. She's also cute. She's yeah. like little red riding hood. She's got the, like the, the tree stuff going yeah. on under, under I'm her head. You. Good I'm character. It's, it's very, very toyetic. Um, yeah, that I, again, like it's the deaths of Francis and Julian. And then uh, it's the character is credited as Nico. NICO on Letterboxd. And then Nico's mm. flashback to infancy and like watching their caretaker die and growing up with their presumably, you know, brother character with the whip arms and shit. Like, I don't know. Maybe I just watched and read enough, like, uh, watched enough anime, read enough manga to like, that's a, that's just a, like a quick little, it's shorthand that will work straight to like, oh, this is a, a little emotionally affecting scene. It, it lasts 45 seconds, this flashback, maybe, maybe a minute. And then we're back in present time with the character. Uh, it just, it just worked. I don't know. Something, something about like the, uh, the offset, like just seeing an ugly thing, do something beautiful is really it really works on me i guess i sometimes um this is uh one of the i think that was one of the most uh, affecting parts of the movie um that's thank you for bringing up that character though because i had meant to talk about her and uh, and we didn't get to um are there any other thoughts before excuse me about the end of the movie or about nico or about i guess any things before we get to what i'll call the next segment uh just that it was also very funny that all of a sudden we had a flashback that wasn't even the main character's flashback. I guess technically it's the second flashback, but it's like it's very uh, emblematic of this movie's sort of like uh, free spirited style that like right in the middle of this movie, this character we don't really know looks at herself in the mirror and we just get a flashback of a bunch of her stuff. And it's sort of like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> this is not the movie I was watching, but uh, yeah. it works and I liked it. It was very funny. I think it's to your both planning and talking about planting seeds earlier. I think it's one of those seeds that will truly like when this movie does have multiple parts, it will make it like truly seem very, very like important. And maybe like the word is epic for when like in the longer scheme of things, I think it's just going to like each of these pieces we've seen before will just become more important as the thing develops the nature of a movie that just ends like this one does. Um, and yeah, to remind the listener, the movie ends with Junkhead and uh, his remaining friends deciding that they'll pursue somehow the tree that we should be able to uh, bring that he should be able to use material from to bring it back to the human world and sort of maybe fix their reproduce reproductive issues. Um, hopefully it doesn't last more than four, four hours before they call their doctor. Hey, uh, that then will be the end of the discussion. I think, um, I will ring in the next segment of our show, which is going to be very short. I'd like to call it other loves we've tried, uh, where we talk about movies we've discussed from the same year as, this, as the release of this movie. Uh, none, we haven't done, had any. So that's the end of, uh, other loves we've tried none from 2017. Um, uh, as listed on the trial and website. So uh, thank you for enjoying the, one more segment of other loves we've tried. And we have another segment that we open uh, at this point called the junk drawer. 
uh, which I'll get to real quick by just asking uh, Cody for any remaining thoughts, any stuff that didn't fit in the discussion. I I don't think so. I already hopped on my talking about what the audience was doing during our screening soapbox. Um, yeah. Um, you know what? Shout out to to women, the women in this movie. We talked about them a little bit. The wives. Uh, I hope they enjoyed their what was it? Their gourmet gourmet tour. tour. Gourmet Incredible. tour, yep. Incredible. Um, Love to go also, on the gourmet tour. Th- that they have uh, no concern for their entire uh, like home being destroyed and just kind of want to squish their crispy husbands when they get home because they fucked up. Very, very funny. Good, great, great humor to these bits. Squish uh, that crispy husband. <laughs> I got to send you a video I saw of the it. cast of Husbands on the Dick Cavett show, just like roughhousing around on 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 the on the on the set at the dick cavett show again not really that's supposedly that's supposedly his like worst experience interviewing anybody <laughs> on that show I love hey dog show. you brought this on yourself who also, in their yes. fucking right mind would invite the cast of husbands anywhere <laughs> that's that's an insane thing to do <laughs> Dick, uh, you fucked yourself. Uh, uh, Aaron, Harry, uh, any last thoughts before we get to... Okay, Harry's Aaron's doing... I liked the all the big monsters rule. quite a lot. B- good big monsters in this. Um, also, it does the thing where every time there was violence, I never got inured to it. Whenever, like, all of a sudden there was there was terrible violence, like a monster getting ripped apart, I was like, oh my god! It, even though, like, I don't know why, it's just something about the cuteness of the, the characters or something that, that really disarms you and... and uh, even if you're as desensitized once again as I am, it really the violence in this was very effective at what it was doing. <laughs> yeah, you said it is one movie that you think, despite Charlie not wanting to see it because she's a little bit freaked out by stop motion of this type. I think she probably would have enjoyed this for the parts that aren't that, and then like had those be little fun like accentuation points in the action and, and creepiness. Uh, then that will be. I had no real junk drawer thoughts. I put uh, <laughs> junk drawer thoughts. Um, I sort of put them all out on the table, so to speak. I don't know how I didn't pick up on that earlier. I'm, I'm behind. I'm spending too much time at the gym. I'm bulking up. I'm going to be uh, large and unable to speak about movies by the end of it. So. No, no, no. Uh, objection, Your Honor. He's just injecting himself in the ass with some steroid slash four loco mixture that makes him buff and even more obviously Greek. Um, so <laughs> that's that. Uh, well, don't give away too many of my secrets. Um, Smoking on that shit that made the orc let Delphi. (laughs) (laughs) Smoking on that shit that took the Elgin marbles. I got too stuck up on a conversation about the Elgin marbles earlier this week. I, the fire was stoked once again in my Grecian heart. Uh, that has been the junk drawer. I'm going to close it up real quick. Once I get back to my little sound effect button, that's the junk drawer. Uh, another segment we like to call, uh, Give me a GIF. It's where I ask the folks on the podcast uh, what they think should go out with the episode when I'm able to create GIFs on Twitter, which I am keeping a log of all these. Uh, I haven't been able to create them because DaVinci Resolve is harder to use than Adobe Premiere was. But uh, know that they will be coming. Um, any shots, Cody, that you think could make great GIFs to go out with this movie on Twitter? This episode on Twitter, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. Uh, other than every freaking shot of this movie, uh, I latched onto a couple in the first act. They actually, I think, happen right around the same time. Uh, as each other, but the first one, when um, big, big air quotes, Parton, when Parton gets reconstructed for the first time, uh, and he like look, there's like that mirror that gets rolled over, and he slash it looks in the mirror and sees uh, 
his new form. I thought that was super cool, maybe them- thematically significant um, to each their own. Uh, but there was uh, the, the second one, it was after there's like that chase sequence with uh, that one monster. It's like, I think somewhat immediately after that. And it's this like, crane shot it's like not like you know the stop motion animation version of a crane shot where it it like it is from behind and it's like going around different corridors it reminded me of that um that like old i think windows screensaver where you're just like going through a labyrinth it's like pov and like you're turning around corners and then there's some yeah like a sprinkling in of the of the actual characters it's like showing them from behind and then showing them from the front um, I think, yeah, it's like Junkhead and the, and, and our three boys and maybe some other folks. Um, but I don't know. I just like that. It's very kinetic. It showed the landscape of, you know, or at least like the small cross section of the part of the world that we were in. Um, so I don't know that I like that as well. I can't really go wrong with, uh, I'm sure any of our picks, but those are the two that I latched on to the most. Then I'll open it up to Aaron. Uh, you're going to say like the one with Junkhead in it? No, uh, actually, no, no, Junkhead. Now, I would do the uh, the very first example of a worm walking across the red vines and then the worm coming out and then just snatching it. That'd be a good one. I liked that uh, one. I want to do the one where he, he swings his little robot dick to try to like, it. demonstrate. It. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> uh, it, is, it is a very... I was... Not so jokingly now that we've opened the door to it, but there's this shot of before he knows that it's a tail, uh, that dog character Toro is the name walks toward the camera with, with extreme focus on the waving, like silhouetted, uh, appendage we'll say. And it just gets closer and closer. It gets comedically close. That's a very good one. Yeah. That's also a good one. The entire screen in the black silhouette of what you are think led to believe is just a hanging dick. It's so fucking funny. You know that the guy was like, yeah. Yeah. With you guys sitting behind me in the theater, I don't know if you saw it. I, I pretended like it, it hit me in the face as it walked past uh, <laughs> me so through this. I don't know. We, we like to have fun at the movies, don't we? We, don't we, we sometimes do. Uh, there was one other image. It's near the beginning where they're burning that first tree uh, that we see the two soldiers from like midway down into the underground. They're burning it. And that's the wonder of a lot of these stop motion movies, uh, at least the one other that we've covered on this podcast, is that because of the nature of like the repeated motion, it makes really good opportunities for continually looping gifts, which I get a little excited by every time I see one. And I think that could be one uh, of them standing before the tree as it sort of like goes up in flames. Um, so thank you. I will mark down Harry wants the Dick gif. Uh, and if Google wants to analyze that with its AI, it can, because I'm leaving it in a Google doc. Uh, thank you so much for participating in give me a gif it was our second to final penultimate you might say uh, bit on this podcast we have one final actual bit one segment that we need to close the episode with but uh, harry needs to help me open that first before we can close it yes indeed folks <laughs> this is the segment <laughs> we like to call cody's cody's noties Wow. Thank you, fellas, for that uh, for that steroid-infused introduction. Today, we will be taking a closer look at other sci-fi-coded films from the year of Junkhead's release in a little something I like to call Sci-Love. And for the show notes, that's S-C-I-Love. You can characterize that in whatever way seems appropriate. Um, 20 super producers that may be listening. Letterboxd has Junkhead. We talked about this a little bit already, but Letterboxd has 
And the Trilon website, question mark, have Junkhead slated as a 2017 release, uh, along with the Junkhead short film. Um, And it seemed like Junkhead maybe floated around at a couple festivals in 2017, hence that characterization. Um, But uh, it didn't really get, you know, an expanded release until a few years later. Uh, We are, despite 2021 maybe being um, the more appropriate year, we'll go with 2017 because I like the selection of films uh, a little bit better. Uh, So we'll roll with that for our purposes this week. One at a time, I will read off a trivia inquiry related to a science fiction movie from the year 2017. I will use our patented spinner app to randomize the order. Points will be awarded based on the uh, correctnesses of your guessnesses. Uh, As always, Trivia Mafia rules apply here, so use your noodles, not your Googles. With that, let's go ahead and jump in. And we're going to start with Blade Runner 2049, a movie that features uh, a stellar ensemble cast that includes, among many others, Ana de Armas. I know everyone said it after this movie came out, but Ana de Armas is going to be fucking huge. But how huge is she? How tall is Ana de Armas? And let's figure out who is going to have the first crack at that question. Spin that wheel, and that wheel has landed appropriately on Aaron. Aaron, how tall is Ana de Armas? I really thought she was going to become huge after Knives Out, but yeah. Um, let me. I'm going to stand up and... and think where would she okay give me one just imagine her next to you he's doing it he's using his arms okay i'm going to based on (laughs) that projection i'm going to guess that she is five seven five seven is the guess from aaron thank you muchly we'll move to jason for his guess jason how tall is the lady anna I'm going to say five, eight. I feel like she's in movies with a lot of tall people and that makes her seem more tiny, more petite. Interesting. All right. Got you down for five, eight and Jason, uh, not Jason, Harry. What do you think? That is tough, Jason, because I think Ben Affleck himself is surprisingly tall. I want to say mm-hmm. he's like six, two or something. Mm-hmm. So I've always thought of Anna de Armas as short, but that might just be because of what you said. Nevertheless, I am going to go with, um, I don't really want to say five six because I don't really want to like do my boy Aaron like that, but uh, I'm gonna. So it's five six. <laughs> wow, five six. What a says, journey. So yeah, what did five, Jason guess again? Here. Jason guessed five eight. So you were sandwiched. I'm so fucked. Fuck you. Uh, you are fucked because Ana de Armas is allegedly a five foot six. So that damn it is how. Yep. Um, so shout out to Ana de Armas, even if not physically huge. Um, in the figurative sense, perhaps. Uh, I would. So that is, yeah. Go ahead. I would argue that maybe she did become huge. Like she was one of the leads in a fucking James Bond movie. Man, like she, she's yeah. Someone lead. okay. The, the joke, the thing <laughs> yeah. that we were making fun of her about, of Aaron about, is that after starring in Knives Out, he said that she was going to be huge. Yeah, Daniel okay. Craig was. Hmm. Co-star at, at are we going to finish that? Yeah, co-star. co-star. Sure, <laughs> I'll take it. We can move uh, on. Ask gotten in many ways as Harry gets the point. Um, perhaps the upper hand in this discussion. It is a, a long feuding point. Um, not really. We're going to move along to the second question. We're talking about Logan, which I guess is technically sci-fi, at least by letterbox genre tag standards. Uh, the titular Logan, maybe you've heard of him, also goes by the name Wolverine. Uh, my question for you, which of the following animals is not a natural predator of the real life 
animal wolverine so which is not uh, an animal that naturally predates upon the wolverine it's sunday uh, your three options are as follows we have the canada lynx the golden eagle and the gray wolf so one of those is not a natural predator of the real animal wolverine so got to tell me who that is and harry is our first contestant <laughs> Um, the first answer of this question. Harry, what do you think? I think I'm going to go with uh, the Golden Eagle, Cody, because I think that it, a different type of eagle is the real answer there. And this is some classic, some CCS, if you will. I And reminder, for our viewers who may not be familiar with uh, what that stands for, can you elaborate on That's that classic us? Cody shenanigans, uh, ah. listener. Oh, yeah, hey. The, it, are, is that what's going to happen? Do I get a um, second you'll find guess? Out if you, you absolutely <laughs> do not. As I hold the, shittily hold the spinner app up to my webcam, Jason is our next guess. Uh, Jason, you're going to double up on Harry's answer. You're going to try and cover the spread. I'm going to start covering the spread. Um, the Was there an, a modifier on the type of wolf you mentioned, the third option? So, uh, yes. So there's a, a Canada Lynx, a Canada Lynx, Golden Eagle, and Gray Wolf are your three options. I'm going to say that the Gray Wolf does not naturally predate the Wolverine. Gotcha, gotcha. Marked you down for that. And over to Aaron, who still has the opportunity to cover the spread if he so chooses. Um, but, you know, he also can follow his heart. It's his life. Aaron, what do you think? Okay, that is the second definition of predate. Sure. Okay. Um, I'm Are you go looking that up in the background? Correcting my grammar instead of thinking about the wow. question at hand? No, you I just, uh, just uh, I also think the the wolf. I'm not gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna think I'm gonna go wolf. Straight to the point, Aaron. Straight shooter Grossman yeah. all the time. Sorry, I was I was I was too upset about grammar correction. <laughs> is the wolf your answer? Is that what you're going with? The wolf is my answer. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, I wanted to ask because the correct answer is A. The Canada lynx. The Canada lynx is not. A natural predator. Wolverines, in fact, have been known to kill lynx. I was going to say, I think lynxes are smaller than wolverines, or at least around the same size, so that kind of makes sense. Honey badgers are smaller than me, but they could probably kill me. Yeah, but that's that's you. Hmm. I'm I'm different. (laughs) (laughs) Some of us are simply built different, Um, including me. The the dealer has won this hand, as nobody got a, a point for that question, but that's okay, because we've got a handful of questions left. The scoreboard reads one zero zero for Harry, uh, Aaron, Jason, or Harry, Jason, Aaron, uh, whoever you may be rooting for. Um, Still very much anybody's game as we head into question three. Our third film is Alien Covenant, Uh, and we'll actually do this in, I think, the opposite way that we usually do it. Um, And I'm going to say Alien Covenant made $240 million at the total cumulative domestic and you know non-domestic totals coming 240 million dollars yeah. the the global is the term but i say global and in my head it's like oh hopefully they don't think that global means like non-us only so i just i wanted to say sure. 80 words when one would do um so my que- uh, my question for you what was the budget of alien covenant knowing that it made 240 million dollars at the at the global box office and we spin the wheel here we land upon harry Harry, what do you think the budget of Alien Covenant was? I'm going to go with $120 million, Cody. Harry is going with 120 mil. 
marked you down as we look to see who's going to guess second. And we have Aaron. Aaron, what do you think? Um, I think Ridley Scott, someone who usually is pretty efficient about this kind of stuff. Uh, I, oh God, Jason's going to fuck me if I, okay. Okay. I need to, he's going to wait. He's Hmm. okay. I think I'm okay. (laughs) Man, he's about to screw my ass here. Um, I'm going to go versus really good fucking deafness. I'm going to go for a hundred million. My guess is going to be a hundred million. Hundred million says Aaron. Uh, and over to you, Jason. Are you gonna fuck Aaron? Or are you gonna screw him in the ass? Or are you gonna go a different direction? He doesn't know that he's better at this game than I am, so I don't know why he thinks that I would. I'm guessing in the middle. Like uh, you just all you gotta do is do one dollar above oh, me. So or if I don't do it enough, you do one dollar the other. I'm I'm not. I don't literally believe, half in the first. I don't believe in psychology. Only the reverse version. So I'm gonna say you're trying to reverse psychology. I don't believe in psychology. Um, we're gonna go. I'm gonna I'm gonna undercut Aaron. I'm gonna cover the spread on the other side of him. You know, I'm gonna per, say now hold 90, on. Ninety nine million million dollars. May I try and convince you? Here's the thing. I was originally going to get one hundred and thirty dollars, one hundred and thirty million dollars, because Harry said that, that sounded like a look. I felt look, good about my that pitch. number, but you, you've here's sig- my pitch. Like, Before you lock myself. that in, may I make a may I Un- make a, a unlistenable? This is the worst plea. podcast ever. Jason, created. please, Jason, listen to me. Prometheus made a shit ton of money. Big, one of the big, big, like, knockout uh, fucking hits of that year and, and science fiction in general. Studios have been chasing that for years and years and years Another Prometheus, okay? The creator, all that kind of shit. Prometheus is what they're trying to do. Now, I think maybe they gave good old, good old uh, Ridley uh, extra money for the sequel follow-up to Prometheus. Mm. Maybe you should guess $121 million. That's all I'm saying. That's all my, that's my pitch. There that's were, my pitch. But it was, like, almost... It was like not. It was a long time after Prometheus, right? I I, I don't know. I don't know that your argument holds water. I'm going to stick to Cody uh, in response to your question. I'm going to say ninety nine million dollars. I'm just going to try and root fuck him on this one and get right under there in right in the sweet spot. Gosh, ninety nine million. Um, to anyone listening who thinks this is unlistenable, which I, your my again your mileage may vary. Stay tuned for our Golden Berries episode in a few weeks. Um, Alien Covenant's budget came out to roughly $97 million. Oh. $97 million. Oh. Uh, and Jason is making profound sex Twice noises. Twice this fucking game. Twice this fucking <laughs> game. You understand? It's the only way I lose is this these fucking clowns, okay? <laughs> We, right. we got we got we got two more questions to go. God, Cody, Jason got Jason got the point. Go ahead, Cody. When you said golden berries followed shortly by in a couple weeks, I was chilled. <laughs> <laughs> like a chill ran up my spine. That's uh, that's why they pay me the big bucks uh, to say that Harry and Jason are tied for the lead so far in this game. Aaron yet to get on the board. We still got a couple questions remaining. Anything is possible. Kevin Garnett said it best. That's um, one for the sports heads out there. A War for the Planet of the Apes is our fourth film. Uh, how, and my question for you is this. How many Planet of the Apes franchise films have been released up to this point? That's all all films, all of them. The original, any remakes, any of them. Um, I know a trailer dropped. I will say I know a trailer dropped uh, within the last couple of weeks for a new Planet of the Apes movie coming out. I'm not counting that because it is not out yet. So any Planet of the Apes films up to this point, 
How many are there? That is my question. Uh, because I didn't have the, the wheel up yet. Yeah, you by this clarifying point, question. Do you mean mm-hmm. today or do you mean since uh, Dawn of the, or what was it? War of the Planet of the Apes, the 2017 movie? The answer is not three. If is that the, is that the question <laughs> that would, you're asking? That would be the, the answer. answer three. If the, no. no, it's all of them. Any, any Planet of the Apes films that have been made in existence. The answer is not how many movies are in a trilogy. Second. <laughs> Aaron, Aaron, I don't want to help you out too much, but that's not what he's asking. But if you want to pay some more attention to the question next time, instead of trying to get my ass, so I'm very excited to see how this will shake out. Um, uh, Harry is our first guesser, so Harry, how many hey. Planet of the Apes films are there? Uh, eight. I think there are eight. All right, Harry is going with eight. I spin the wheel. And I land upon Jason for our next guest. Jason? I got to imagine there are one or two I'm missing, but the ones that I can count in my head total seven. All right. Jason is locking in seven, which leaves uh, us. Are there three? I'm Aaron Grossman. Uh, Harry, you are misunderstanding Aaron, that... me roasting you. Oh, God. I thought that was Aaron. Uh, you, you, are, you, are, you, are, you are dunking on yourself twice here, bud. And you think you are dunking on me, but it is you. You have dunked. You are the basketball player who has gotten disoriented and is now dunking on his own side. You're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to go for the other one, bud. Uh, yes. The question is okay, Cody, can I ask rules clarification quickly? <laughs> you did. You said all that. And you're going to ask. <laughs> I want a rules yes, clarification. Yeah, if yes. I tie. So if Harry and I both get it, do we both get a point? Is well, that if how you both will? if you both I'm deciding get the whether exact, to do eight or nine here, yeah. If 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 you both get the exact same answer, or you're both like not exactly on, but you're you're both equidistant from the yes. correct answer, you you each would get a point. I'm not gonna I'm not, I'm not dealing in halves. You each would just get a point. Um, I guess I'll go eight. Then yeah, I'll do eight. All right, Aaron is going coward. Coward. With eight. Uh, uh, truly uh, a little bit of cowardice because there are nine. Could have gone with nine and got Ugh. that point just for that yourself. That was my original um, thought too. I'm, I, yeah. But, yeah, fuck it. Yeah, yeah, uh, it. yeah that's okay. Uh, you'll take it. Um, Harry is now in, in sole lead with two points. But on the other hand, uh, Aaron and Jason are each on the board now with one. Jason was already okay. on the board. Aaron, yeah, Aaron hopped up. You know, he took a, he did a leap Got up uh, to to the second place threshold. Two one one is is our score line. Truly anybody's game as we head can into. I, before we yes. leave that question, can I? Nope. Do you, yeah. do you, no, we just do you have know to the titles. Do you know the titles of each of those movies of those nine, or should I just Google that? Great, great question. I do not. Um, okay, I there will are. So it's 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 five. Uh, there's like uh, kind of the original five where they turned them out pretty quickly. I remember the release dates were like there's one in 1970, one in 1971, like pretty so like Planet of the Apes, mm-hmm. four sequels, then the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes, and then the three that have come out okay. in like the 2010s up to this point. See, I only knew about three sequels to the original. So, my mm. bad. There's Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, War of the Planet of the Apes, Dawn of the War of the Planet of the Apes, Rise of the Dawn of the War of the Planet of the Apes, uh, and then the new one is called Shadow of the Dawn of the Rise of the War of the Planet of the Apes. I believe <laughs> the Princess of the Planet of the Apes, uh, of course. The Planet of the, the Apes. I saw Harry said we had to move on to the next one, and then just like, well, <laughs> no, we're we're good good. I can't it's deny the fucking riff. joke. It's a pretty good Planet joke. The Apes. The it was a pretty good joke. I don't know. It was a pretty good joke. And another shirt coming to the trial of shop. We should actually make some of these. Your joke is just an old bold. Uh, it would be fun. Holidays are coming up. Uh, our final question. I'm going to list 
four more science fiction leaning films from 2017. Get your 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 ranking hats on. What I'm going to ask you should be able to do is rank them in order of highest to lowest Metacritic score. That is what that is the basis upon which we are ranking today. I will say the titles of the films and then I will do the rest of the vamping. Um, so the four films you are ranking in order of highest to lowest Metacritic score. Those four films are as follows: We have The Dark Tower. We have Ghost in the Shell, the live-action remake, obviously. Uh, Transformers The Last Night. And finally, Valyrian in the City of a Thousand Planets. Those are the four kind of sci-fi-ish films that you were making. A rough in order year! To... <laughs> uh, Some two-pack just... of ass. Uh, <laughs> on one hand, yes. On the other hand, uh, I will say... Uh, that again, you are ranking them on the order of, of highest to lowest Metacritic score. You will get a point for each correctly slotted film. And again, there are four films in the mix. I just read them. Uh, you get a, a point for each cor- correctly slotted one. You get the order perfectly right. You get four points. That's a big swing in a, what is a pretty tight notice up to this point. Um, if you split the difference, get two of them right, get two of them wrong, you get two points. The math is easy to figure out from there, in my humble opinion. Again, those four films are The Dark Tower, Ghost in the Shell, Transformers The Last Night, and Valyrian and the City of a Thousand Planets. Those are what we are ranking today, folks. And I'm going to get my spinner app a spin in. And our first guesser is Aaron. Aaron, have I vamped enough for you? I'm so fucked, man. Um, Yeah, I guess. Um, You you want top to highest to lowest? Highest to lowest, if you please. I'm going to go highest as Ghost in the Shell, a great sign. Uh, I think for these movies, I'm going to go second as Valyrian. I'm going to go third as Transformers and fourth as what I understand to be just a, just a big old mass piece of shit is the dark, dark tower. It's the fourth. Roger that. Uh, I'm going to read those back just to make sure I I heard those and digested them appropriately. So we've got um, for you ghost in the shell Valyrian, not going to say the full thing each time Uh, Transformers the last night, and the Dark Tower. Does that match your perceived order? Yeah, lowest to highest. Uh, no, highest to lowest. No, no, I'm fucking with you. You son of a... I should have known. All right, excellent. Thank you for that. I will now spin the wheel once more and find out who will be guessing next, and that is Jason. By a hair, just barely got onto his space. Uh, Jason, uh, your order, if you please. My order is going to be Ghost in the Shell, Transformers The Last Night, Sorry, that was muddied. Transformers the last night, Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, and The Dark Tower. It's gotcha. only the middle two are flipped between my and Aaron's guesses for those keeping track at home. Gotcha. So yeah, that I mean you will yeah, they win even if I Whoever wins. You have two. You lose. No, sorry, yeah. Okay. Whoever wins, pee poos. I'm gonna read those back, Jason. So we've got uh, Ghost in the Shell, Transformers the Last Night. Valyrian and the da, 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 and then the Dark Tower. Correct. Cool, cool. Lock in those in. And uh finally, Harry, if you please. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Transformers at number one, uh Ghost in the Shell at number two, Valerian at number three, and Dark Tower at number four, Cody. Gotcha, gotcha. I'm gonna read those back. I've got Transformers, Ghost in the Shell, Valyrian, and the Dark Tower. That's correct. Gotcha. Okay. I believe I've com- uh, completed 
all necessary tabulations. Um, but just to get ahead of it, I'll say thank you for participating and for listening. This has been Scilove. Uh, I will now read the correct ranked or big, big scare quotes, correct ranked order of these films based on highest to lowest Metacritic score. And kicking us off with a, a staggering 52 on the Metacritic scale is Ghost in the Shell. Ghost in the Shell at number one. Uh, Hot yeah. on its heels at 51. Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. Wow. Um, stepping up huge. Uh, coming in with a, a cool 34, The Dark Tower. And then finally at 27, Transformers The Last Night. And so recapping that, um, in part to make sure I did these tabulations correctly, Harry came into that last question with two um, swing and a miss, 0 for 4 uh, on that order. So that leaves him with two for the for the game. Jason came into that last question with one. He got Ghost in the Shell slotted correctly. Um, the rest, uh, uh, not so much. So he ends this game with two. Aaron came into the last question with one point, got the first two assigned correctly. Uh, so one plus two is three. Uh, and so Aaron, by my calculations, has 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 taken has taken the round. He is one sigh love. Aaron, do you have anything to to say on that respect? Yes, I, I have two points to make. First, look, even 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 when I get sandwiched, you can't stop me. You can't stop me. I'm coming back. We get the the last question about box office or something. I'm get come on. Come on. Come on. Second of all, I will say that yes, I only got two out of four. However, I would have gotten four out of four if the uh, if the the scales here had been properly weighted for semi ironic letterbox users rankings of the Transformers film, uh, reappraising it uh, as a, a modern classic. If it had been a different uh, question, you know, yes, you you would have won. Yes, then I would have then I would have gotten four. Uh, so uh, uh, you know maybe that will change once those semi ironic letterbox users get around to watching the Dark Tower. Maybe they'll view that as some sort of post capitalistic uh, statement on. Uh, franchise films, but who knows? Uh, for now, you know, we can only speculate. So, I, I guess I'll be the one to thank you for that. Uh, thank you, uh, yep. Aaron, for uh, making wonderful use of the pop-off platform. Thank you, Cody, for ending our, ending our episodes, as always, on a wonderful, fun note. Uh, I've won this uh, maybe a single-digit number of times, and even I still have fun with it. So uh, check in for other episodes of uh, other editions of Cody's Noties at the end of almost every episode of Try Love. I think you started this during the pandemic, I want to say. Um, and uh, so, so maybe going back to I, the first I time. I have that- a memory... I well actually I have a memory of me um being out on assignment for one of the weeks um as as I sometimes am which spoilers for the end um we've got a, a, another one of those periods coming up um but I remember coming back and being told out of the blue she's like oh yeah we're doing this thing called Cody's Noties where you just like read shit that you wrote down while uh-huh, watching uh-huh. the movie and it is um and I'm talking about seeds that have been planted uh, it's become Kind of a, a extremely different thing than what was previously conceived. Um, and I, we I all, hope we've all become so it, much better than we ever thought we would. Big mood. Um, but yeah, thank you for this opportunity, and I hope you all enjoyed listening to it. 
I hope you all enjoyed listening to the whole episode as well. Everything that came before Cody's Noties. Thank you so much for listening. Check out our backlog for movies you've seen before. Check out trylon.org for movies you haven't, maybe haven't seen. Uh, get in touch with us on Twitter at trylovepodcast or trylovepodcast at gmail.com to uh, let us know if you want to talk about movies or just tell us what you think. We've already had a couple of folks reach out and uh, you go back to the backlog of episodes. You can find a bunch of guests who found us exactly that same way. Uh, so in the meantime, check me out on Twitter. I'm Jason Daphnis. I help make this show. You can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. Thank you so much. That's right. Um, and yeah, as I previously hinted at, uh, I will be on sabbatical, uh, the duration of which covers the next couple weeks worth of episodes, I think. Um, so I will be back eventually. In the meantime, maybe consider you, the Thin Man came up uh, during our, our talks over the last hour and a half plus um the thin man is a is technically a, a christmas movie that takes place over the holidays maybe consider adding that to your watch list if that is something that you, you try to do around this time of year um with that i've been cody narvis and you can find me on twitter at cody underscore bh or blue sky at cody Narvison. uh i'm harry mackin I'm just here to say that technically all six of the mainline Yakuza video games, including Yakuza Zero, so that's, I, I suppose, actually all seven, take place over Christmas, which makes all of them Christmas games. So if that's something you'd be interested in, wow. you can play all seven of the mainline Yakuza games uh, this holiday season. Let me know if you do, and we'll talk about it. I've been Harry Mack, and you can find me on Twitter at PunishTake. My name is Aaron. Don't listen to Harry, folks. Look, I got Jason to play Thief, okay? 2024, this is the year that Aaron's video games recommendations, they're coming back in a big way, and by coming back, I mean for the first time. People are going to start playing all the things I've recommended them. They're going to start reading the books, the movies, Aaron's recommendations. Uh, trust me, it's it's going to be it's going to be big next year. Just just one more year, it'll happen, folks. There will be a uh, great If you want reckoning. those recommendations, you can find me uh, annoyingly tweeting about them uh, on Twitter at RB Please. Wild men are so dreamy. Oh! <gasps>